Um, let me, uh, before I kind of get to my, 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 my sermon, uh, let me tell you a story, because it's kind of related, but not really, but it's so, for me, it's such a, a great story. I just want to tell it anyway. Um, when we first moved to Melbourne, um, I was working at the city of Casey, uh, which is local government council in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, sort of the Narry Warren, you know, Fountain Gate, you know, Kath and Kim, it was Kath and Kim territory, uh, sort of Narry Warren, Berwick, Cranbourne area, and I was leading a community development uh, team there. And uh, when I was, uh, Lou and I were invited to go to take over the church at Fitzroy North, um, council were very generous in offering me um, consultancy work and some, some, um, some project work um, because they knew I was going into a, a small church setting uh, that couldn't afford to pay me full time. So they very generously offered, offered me as much work as I wanted. So I finished on the Friday, had my big farewell... And on a Monday morning, I was back there in the office again. And um, it was during uh, that time of um, doing the consultation work with uh, the, the, the city of Casey that one of my colleagues um, said to me uh, one day, so Steve, how's this church thing of yours going? And I said, well, it's going really well, thanks, Karen. We're kind of, um, we're growing. We're seeing lots of young people, mainly 20 and 30-year-olds coming here. It's really exciting. And she goes, well, that's great. So what have you been preaching on, Steve? Now, there's... It was open office, there were lots of people around, and I feel a little bit, bit embarrassed, but Karen, hopefully she might listen to this podcast, so Karen is one of those personalities that doesn't mind embarrassing folks, and so she was wanting to kind of put me on the spot, and I said, oh, well, we kind of been talking. She said, Stephen, what did you preach on Sunday? And I said, well, Karen, I actually preached on probably one of the most important verses in the Bible, which is uh, in the uh, book of Genesis, chapter 15, and it's the story of Abraham, and it says that... But Abraham actually believed, uh, believed God. And because he believed God, God said that he was, he was righteous. He was in right relationship with God because of that belief. And in that moment, Karen asked me the most challenging, most profound theological question that I've ever been asked. And that question was, she said to me, Steve, I'm a bit like Abraham I believe in God as well, but I don't get the blood stuff, meaning I don't understand the cross and why Jesus had to die. I believe, I believe in God like Abraham did, but I don't get the blood stuff. Does that mean that I am like Abraham, that I too am right with God? Now, you've got to understand my background. I'm, I'm a fundamentalist, and part of me is a fundamentalist, and I kind of really value, not really value, I deeply value the work of the cross. And I was being put on the spot because I was being asked whether it's possible to have salvation without really having a grasp of the finished work of Jesus. And I said, oh, Karen, that's such a hard question. I'm not sure how to answer it. You don't realize how difficult that question is. And she goes, ha-ha, well, I'm not leaving until you give me an answer. <laughs> I went, oh, Karen, please don't do that to me. Please let me think. And she goes, no, you're not leaving until you tell me whether somebody like me who believes in God but doesn't get the blood stuff is like Abraham. Am I right with God? 
I said, oh, Karen, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say, God accepts you, whatever level you're at, wherever you are on your journey. If you've got that simple belief and faith in God like Abraham did, I said, God, God, God embraces you where you are. I said, the only thing that I would suggest or say to you is that don't put a full stop after that, but go on a journey to discover what the blood stuff means. And I left it that. I came up to Louise and I said, oh my God, have I sold, uh, you know, have I sold, uh, you know, the, the gospel or, 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 you know, undermined the gospel by saying what I did? And I, and I struggled a little bit um, with that for, for a time. And I haven't seen Karen for a few years. And a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some, some work out at the city of Casey and um, Karen walked in. And she said, oh, Steve, I'm so pleased to see you. She said, I, I've just been, I was made redundant last week. And you're not going to believe what happened to me. The day that I found out I was made redundant, I went to have a coffee with a friend. And while I was having coffee, uh, before I was, uh, my friend arrived, this really strange lady um, was sitting close by me and she began to talk to me. And she was one of you. She was one of these God, God people, God botherers. And she began to tell me her story about um, how, um, as a young girl, she had had a, a, a riding accident. As a result of that accident, she'd ended up with a disability. And all the way through her story, she just kept saying, God is good. You know, this bad, this bad stuff has happened to me, but God is good. And this has happened to me and that's happened to me, but God is good. And as this uh, lady left um, when her friend arrived, this lady had a profound physical disability. And Karen held it together while she met with this, uh, this person and had coffee with them. And after coffee, she went into the car and she said, Steve, I just bawled my eyes out because I knew that person was a gift from God for me. At this time where I'm trying to work through um, just hearing the news of my, my, um, my redundancy and knowing God was there for me in that moment blew me away. And then she started to cry again and she said, Stephen, you know what? I've got nobody else to tell this story to. You're my Jesus person. You're my Jesus person, and you're here because nobody else would understand or get it what happened to me. And I, I started to cry as well, just thinking about her journey from saying, you know, hey, God, God's okay. God's okay with you. And then for her to acknowledge, here is God working in her life. Does she understand the blood stuff? Yet, yeah, no, she doesn't. But is she on a journey? My goodness, she is on a journey. And um, she has given me permission to share the story. In fact, she said she'll be here next Sunday to sign Bibles. <laughs> and to have a photo opportunity with anybody who wants to have a photo opportunity with her and uh, her, you know, her being her righteous, her righteous state before God. All right. 
Well, today we conclude our, our series on Abraham, and we've looked at a whole bunch of, of topics. I was going to list them all. They're there on the um, on the on the sh- on the um, on the uh, what is it? A PowerPoint, and in your life groups this week, you can you can look at them. Um, I'll go through them again and just do a bit of a bit of a recap. But the thing is, the the thing that I find amazing about the life of this man Abraham is that although he lived in a different time and a different place, very different to our world, that um, his life has so much relevance um, to our own. And I think the reason that I find the Abraham story so helpful and so engaging is um, I kind of feel like I'm a, a, a bit like a bit like Abraham, and hopefully over this series you've realized that while this man is defined as the father of our faith and as being defined as a friend of God, he's a bit like us in the sense that his life was filled with highs and lows, with, with successes and failures, with achievements and regrets. One moment he's this incredible uh, man of faith, and then the next ne- next scene he's uh, struggling with discouragement and doubt. Um, one moment he's hearing with with incredible clarity um, the voice of God, and then the, the next moment he's misinterpreting or misunderstanding what it is that God has said to him. In one situation he's he's displaying incredible integrity. And the next, you find him lying to save his skin. And yet the great thing about Abraham, despite all of his inadequacies and his imperfections, Abraham is still identified, as Mike shared with us this morning, he's still identified as being a friend of God. And that gives me hope that somebody like myself, with my imperfections and my inadequacies, can still Walk through life as a friend of of God. Because he's built his life on the foundation of covenant. Remember, we did three weeks talking about blood covenant, this ancient ritual by which um, our lives are bound together with, with the life of God and we enter into a relationship with God that is unbreakable. It's unsinkable. It's eternal. We're, our life is bound up in the very life of God. And Abraham uh, could fail and he could bounce back quickly um, because he understood that his righteousness, his rightness before God, wasn't based on what he did or didn't do, but it was based on the covenant and his faith in the covenant which God had initiated. Now, we could still take... Um, quite a few uh, months to go through the Abraham story. There's things that we haven't touched on. You know, if we were, we haven't really spent any time in the New Testament looking at Abraham in uh, the book of Romans or the book of Galatians in particular or the book of Hebrews. We haven't looked at Melchizedek. I know you're all great scholars of this uh, mysterious priest, Melchizedek. Um, 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 we haven't looked at, what else haven't we looked at? We haven't looked at Abraham and, and his wealth. Um, there was something about Abraham that seemed to attract incredible wealth and, and, and what does, does that mean? And we haven't had an opportunity to look at Abraham and this about in terms of aging well 
and dying well. But I just want to give you a little verse, just to give you a little snapshot of this kind of the epitaph at the end of his life. It says, And Abraham expired and died in a good old age. He was 175. I, I don't want to get to that age. An old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. And now listen to this. Listen to this. This is a kind of closing kind of thing about, about Abraham. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him. Now, who does Isaac represent? Who was Isaac? Who, who were the descendants of Isaac? The Jewish people, Israel. Who were the descendants of Ishmael? The Arabs, the Muslim people. And right there at his death, there is this picture of potentiality. A seed is sown about the possibility of Jews and Muslims being reunited and gathered around Father Abraham. Isn't that worthwhile thinking about, eh? Isn't that good? So next time you turn on your TV set and you see trouble in the Middle East, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. What I want to do this morning is I want to finish our series talking about Abraham um, the pioneer. In uh, Genesis 17, verse 1, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. What's really interesting is um, in, the, in, in how this um, verse is actually uh, written in the original Hebrew language. It actually says, um, I am God Almighty, walk on ahead of me. Walk on ahead of me. Walk on ahead of me. I thought we were supposed to walk with God. In fact, um, Jewish people are in a great debate as how come Noah is not seen as the patriarch of the Jewish people? Why, why Abraham? And they actually put it down to this verse is that, Abra- that Noah walked with God, but Abraham walked ahead of God. That Abraham was a pioneer. That he was progressive. That he was a man that took initiative. And the life of faith that, um, that God um, called Abraham to was a call to do something new. To um, take a road less traveled. To venture out into the unknown. And as, as you look at, at, at Abraham's life from beginning to end, he is a pioneer who is breaking ground. Um, when the call of God comes to him, he leaves everything and he goes. He breaks with um, idolatry. Um, everybody else is worshipping idols. They're worshipping the sun or the moon god or, or, the, or, or created things. But Abraham breaks that pattern and he reintroduces the world to the idea of monotheism, the worship of the creator rather than the created. So he breaks the, breaks the norm. Uh, then he embarks on a journey. 
And he's got no idea where he's, uh, he's, he's going. But the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city that was designed and built by God. He was looking for something beyond what the natural eye could see. He was looking forward. So Abraham wasn't one of those folks that looked back. He was a progressive thinker. He was looking toward the future as to what might be. He was looking for the fulfillment of the promises of God. And even when, when Sarah, Abraham's wife, had died, Abraham by this time is 137 years old. You'd expect him. As a 137-year-old, his wife has died. You'd think, I'm going to hang up my hat now, and I'll just retire, and I'll settle. And whilst this man has done everything that he can possibly do to kind of um, fulfill um, God's plan for his life, God's promises remain unfulfilled. He still doesn't possess the land, and he still doesn't really have the fulfillment of this promise of a, of a, uh, of a, of a nation. He's got, uh, he's got a son, Isaac, who is now 37, but unmarried. And so this promise of a, of a great nation arising from him remains unfulfilled. So what does Abraham do? Does he just kind of settle and give up and say, well, I gave it a great shot, but I, I didn't see this dream that I had, this, that which I was looking forward to fulfilled. In Genesis 23, it says, Abraham mourned for Sarah and wept over her. Then immediately after that verse, we read, and Abraham rose from his grief. He didn't wallow in, in loss and in self-pity, but he picked himself up and he said, my life is not over yet. There are still things that need to be done. And he embarked on two things. He began looking for a, a, a husband, a, a, not a husband for Isaac, he was looking for a wife. <laughs> he was looking for a wife for Isaac. And then he, was, he went and found a cave, a a portion of land in Canaan to bury his wife. And when he found, when, when he, when he found Isaac a wife, and when he found um, uh, a cave to bury Sarah, he didn't just stop there. He got married and had six more kids. Well, I know. <laughs> He's still pursuing the promises of God. Abraham was a pioneer until his dying breath. He didn't give up. He didn't retire. He just kept going. Hello? Hello? Now, this morning, I need to have a pastoral conversation with you. I've been here for nearly two years, and I haven't, I've preached, but I haven't really had a pastoral conversation, but I need to have a pastoral conversation with you, Okay? Okay, good. You see, there are two types of leaders. There are pioneer leaders and there are settler leaders. Pioneer leaders are similar to Abraham. They enjoy taking risks. They push the boundaries and they seek to go where no one else has gone 
before. They thrive on, ad- on adventure. They get an adrenaline rush from taking initiative and change. They actually, there are people in this world you know, who actually love change. If there's a risk to be taken, the default question that the pioneer leader asks is, why not? Why not? Why don't we just go and give that a go? Why don't we give it a shot? We could fail, but why not? We could succeed. Um, the pioneer leader is, love to ex- loves to expand what exists. Their focus is on the future. They are entrepreneurial, they're creative, they're innovative, and they're in- they are inspired by what might be. And pioneer leaders generally are not satisfied because they always hunger for more. Now, you also have settler leaders. Settlers by nature are more conservative. The word conservative um, literally means resistant to change. So if somebody's conservative, they're resistant to change. And if, if they do implement change, that change will take um, take place slowly. The process of change it takes a long time with a settler uh, kind of leader. Settlers prefer things to stay the same as they have been. Unlike the pioneers, they like to play it safe. They are, they are risk adverse, generally. And this is a really great quality. They create stability, um, security and predictability. And if, there's a, a, if there is a uh, risk to be taken, the default question that a settler leader asks is, why? Why change? Why do that? We've never done that before. Why? They focus on the present and preserving the past. And settler leaders are generally satisfied with the way things are. Now, these are, these are generalizations, but each of us have a tendency towards preferencing one of those styles of leadership over the other. Some of you in this room love the pioneer leader. You love adrenaline. You, you love the excitement. You love the adventure. You love it, uh, um, uh, um, innovation. And then there are others of you, you just want to settle. You just want to... Kind of just have things stay the way they are because it's, it's comfortable and, 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 and it's okay. Now, hear me on this. One style is not better than the other. They're just different. Do we need pioneer leaders in the church? Yes. Do we need settler-style leaders in the church? Yes, we need, we, need, we need both. Both are valuable and both have strengths and weaknesses. So what, tell me, what, what might be some of the strengths of a pioneer leader? Evangelism, Evangelism great. Mission, reaching out. Sorry? Give you a vision. Give you a vi- impart vision, yeah. Expansion. Expansion. Set goals. Set goals, great. 
Dream dreams. Great, that's good. What about what are the, what are the strengths of the, the settler leader? Stability. Strengthen, yeah. So things have been built, but things get strengthened. Core values, yeah. Safety. All very, very important. What are the weaknesses of a pioneer leader? You miss out. This is a pioneer leader? Okay, so we miss out on, on being established. Okay, all right. Sometimes don't listen to the settlers. Dangerous, isn't it? Instability. Instability. So moving from one project to the next project, we don't finish things. Okay. Rash. Yeah. What about what? Are, what are the weaknesses? Sorry, were you going to say something, Marion, about the? Sorry. Okay. So it's a lack of fear. Okay. So what would be some of the the strength? Sorry, the weaknesses of a settler settler style leader. Misses opportunities, yeah. Doesn't move on. Doesn't move on. Boring? Boring. <laughs> okay. That, that, lack of growth, yep, 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 yep. Anybody else who hasn't contributed want to put up their hand? They don't fit in with the establishment. You like the establishment or don't like the establishment, I'm not sure. Yep. Yep, great. All right. So you get the picture. Both are good, have strengths, both have, have weaknesses. The older that I'm getting, um, the older that we are getting, the more likely it is for us to want to settle, isn't it? Um, so we want to minimise risk. I know that when um, Lou and I were younger... We were pioneers. We were wild. Go on this mission trip? Absolutely. Give that, give that car away? Yeah, well, we won't end up with a car, but I don't know. Somehow God is going to provide us with another car. I don't know, you know. It, it was wild. It was exciting. And we've got story after story after story of God coming through to our, for us as we've pioneered and took risks and took initiative and and hung out on a limb and God came through. It was so exciting. But you know what? The older we're getting and the more we have, the more reluctant we are to risk because the more we have to lose. Because we're coming to that time in life where we've got to consolidate because um, what lies before us. So I mitigate against that tendency in older age to become more of a settler than a pioneer. I jumped in the car with Louise one day and she's got, I don't know if it's Smooth FM or Gold FM, it's one of those kind of greatest hits and memories from the 70s and 80s. And I love 70s, you know, I told you a couple, I'm a big Queen fan and big, I love 70s, Elton John, love that, fantastic. But the problem with whatever station it was that Lou was listening to, all of the ads were for funeral directors <laughs> and, um, and retirement villages. And I, went, I, I am too young for this. I am definitely too young for a retirement village. 
No offence to those of you who live in a retirement. And I'm definitely too young for thinking about a funeral director. So what I did was I intentionally turned my, my, my car radio, my car, to Triple J. Because I ain't going to that hits and memories place anymore. You don't get too many ads for retirement villages and funeral homes on, on, in, on Triple J. But you do get to hear some absolutely brilliant music. Because what happens is your, your ears retune. I was listening to Gang of, Gang of Youths yesterday. Who's heard of Gang of Youths? Oh my God, some of the best, some of the best rock music I've heard in ages. Yeah. And I would never have heard that if I was listening to Smooth FM. <laughs> now, what kind of leader do you think I am? Did somebody say mixture? Oh, my God. Give me five. That makes me cry. I long to be a mixture. Anybody says I'm a settler, feel slapped. I think my default position is, is a pioneer, but I'm working really hard to try and be a mix of both. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a message on Sodom. And I threw something out. I didn't make up. I didn't make up what I shared. Anybody can find it out by doing some study and research. But it was outside the boundaries of what the majority of you understand as being true about the Sodom story. A settler leader wouldn't go near that because wouldn't want to rock the boat, wouldn't want to stir you up, wouldn't want to make things uncomfortable for you. But I'm a, I'm a pioneer preacher. I think my job is to make people feel uncomfortable and rock the boat because I desperately want us all to change and to grow and mature and to become the big people that God has called us to be. So I can't help but do that and break out in that pioneer kind of... So I'm having a pastoral chat with you now. Now, if I'm, if I'm messing your theology every week, there's something wrong. Because we need stability, don't we? We need predictability. But if we get predictability every week, if you get served up the same old thing that you've been hearing for year after year after year after year, you're not going to grow. You're not going to advance. You're not going to grow up into the image and likeness of Christ. See, Jesus was a progressive preacher. He would say things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And every now and again, you need preachers to come along and say to you, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Did you hear my heart? Now, just as there are pioneer leaders and settler leaders, there are pioneer churches and settler churches. The settler church is focused primarily on the needs of those in the church. 
The pioneer church, on the other hand, focuses on the needs of those outside itself. When it comes to outreach, the settler church says everyone knows we're here. They can come and join us if they want to, whereas the pioneer church goes out to offer an invitation. The settler church views its members as a group of people who need support and encouragement. The pioneer church sees its members as a group of people who have been blessed and therefore called to be a blessing to others. The settler church sees the pastor as a chaplain whose primary job is to visit members to make sure they are okay. The pioneer church sees the pastor as a visionary leader whose primary job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and mission. And in my experience, conflict in in churches is often between settlers and pioneers. And that's why team is so important. You see, we need both pioneer and settler leaders here at Bayview Church. Pioneer leaders and settler leaders who are partnering together to create a push and a pull. There are times and seasons where we have to, and some things that we have to push into, we have to be innovative and creative. And there are other times where, after that season of creativity and innovation, we need to just kind of stabilise that a little bit and give it time to settle before we rush off onto the next entrepreneurial initiative that people like me naturally want to run off into. We need team. We need diversity. We can't just be a church led by, uh, by pioneers, and we can't be just a church led by just settlers. We need both groups to kind of get this ebb in this flow happening. And my dream is for us to be a church that understands and embraces both pioneering and settling. Abraham models for us something so exciting, so beautiful. This man that just refused to retire. He just, he'd heard from God, he'd received a and he was going to go for that to his dying breath. We need, we need that spirit. But then we also need that season of college, uh, consolidation, those who understand that you just can't be running off on tangents all the time, that we need to build foundations and create an atmosphere of both excitement and adventure and also of stability and safety and security. Are you with me? You hear my heart? You hear my heart? You hear what I'm trying to say? So we don't only want to just create, we want to consolidate. But can I say this in conclusion, that while the church needs both pioneers and settlers, the pioneer spirit at the end of the the day must be predominant. You see, God intends for his kingdom to advance, to grow to take new territory, to plant new churches, to support things in places that need supporting outside of ourselves. 
If or when a settler mentality dominates the church, it will lead invariably to complacency and the church living below its God-given potential and destiny. You've heard, you might have heard the Kodak story. Kodak had the, had the market on, on film, you know, camera film. But it refused to innovate. It refused to change. It was dominated by its past successes and by its present place in the market. It didn't look ahead at digital change. Have a look um, on the stock exchange to see if you can find Kodak today. Doesn't exist. Because it settled and didn't pioneer. We're only here today because of pioneers like Abraham. And I want you to listen so carefully to this. We're only here today because of pioneers like Abraham, Moses, Caleb, Joshua, Paul, and Jesus, and Ted Keating. For those who don't know, Ted Keating was the founding pastor of this church. You see, embedded into the DNA, into the fabric of Bayview, is a pioneer spirit. And what historically happens in churches is a church has a pioneer leader who plows and advances and establishes new initiatives. And people get tired of that. And so the next person they bring in is a settler. And then, after a few years, the church gets fed up with the settler because the church is no longer doing anything. And they bring on board a visionary leader, a pioneer. Bayview brought in a pioneer leader. And it's embedded into the fabric to the DNA of this church. That excites me. In the coming months, we'll be unfolding um, our vision for the next few years. And um, for some of you who are more on the settler side of things, you'll go, oh, wow, this is all a bit much. Don't worry. We've got you in mind. We love you and we care for you. And we all need seasons of rest and time out. We've had that in our ministry. So it's okay. And for those of you who are pioneers, when we start telling you about our plans for the future, you'll get excited and enthusiastic, I hope. Amen? Amen. You okay with me chatting like this this morning? my heart. Beautiful.